this is incredible. It wasn't like a surprise. We had that potential. We just had to go out and do it. Winning football on Thanksgiving. A Dallas tradition and RG3 and the Redskins will start at the 20. We shot out the gate really, really fast. This guy had a perfect quarterback rating, Robert Griffin the third. Tony Romo and the Cowboys didn't know what to do. Defense was bewildered. Did the play action pass and I dropped back and, and threw a bomb to Alger Robinson. Griffin keeps it. He's got him. Downfield. And when it left my hand, it wasn't like, oh yeah, that's a dime. It left my hand I'm like, man, I overthrew this man by like 30 yards. Because yeah, I just unleashed it and just let my eyes, trust what my eyes saw and made the throw. As strong of an arm as RG3 has, I don't think you can out throw Alger Robinson. And it hit him right in stride. Downfield, Robinson for the touchdown. And at that moment, early in the game, I knew, whew, we got something today. I don't know how you can watch the first half of this game on Thanksgiving and not be thoroughly impressed with what Robert Griffin III can do. When you can make plays that seem odd or that seem off to you, but they're perfect, that's when you know that something special is cooking on that day. He has elevated the play of those around him. For me, it was that moment, and then the next was the touchdown pass to Pierre Garçon. He runs his drifter out into the middle of the field, and at this point in the game, we were on fire. They really have outplayed the Dallas Cowboys. Everything was clicking. We could call a play backwards, and it was going to work. So the defense knew the play was coming. They ran perfectly to the right spots. But I was feeling good on that day. I was feeling really confident. Play action. And I threw the ball to the only place that Pierre could catch it. Griffin over the middle. He's got Garcon. And Pierre Garcon has got room to go. And that was behind him. <laughs> he threw it behind him. I threw it at his ear hole, and he's running full speed across the field left to right. And because of that, the only way he was going to catch this pass is if he made a miraculous catch. And he did. And that's just a great catch by Pierre Garçon. He spun on a dime, running full speed. I don't know if anybody's ever tried to spin while you're running full speed in any direction. He spun around, caught it, kept his feet, and ran for a touchdown with the whole convoy of receivers running with him. I can still to this day see Santana Moss running down the field, blocking the corners from the Dallas Cowboys, making sure that Pierre could go score that touchdown. But it's a 59-yard touchdown to Pierre Garçon. I felt the emotion from that play. It was astonishing because in that moment, I truly felt like our team had finally bonded together. This is In The Moment from Religion of Sports and PRX. I'm David Green. Each week we go inside the mind of an athlete to replay one of the most important moments of their career. And today we go to 2012 with RG3, Robert Griffin III, as he relives his rookie season as quarterback in Washington. Everything started to come together in that crucial Thanksgiving game. You go on Thanksgiving and you obliterate the Cowboys, which is America's team and you go out and you do it in a way that no one's ever seen it done before. And that game helped us do it every week after that on our way to the postseason. RG3 was a Heisman Trophy winner and a first round draft pick. And his rookie year was filled with promise, featuring incredible highs, but also some career changing lows. 
It was almost as if like my, my leg was being ripped off and I crumbled immediately in that moment, crumbled to the ground. More with Robert Griffin III right after this break. Fantasy football leagues are won on the waiver wire and with trades and with savvy starter sit decisions. The Fantasy Football Today podcast will help you along the way with the best advice on how to manage your team and dominate your league. With eight episodes per week, Fantasy Football Today is the only resource you'll need. Start sit, grade the trade, fantasy cops to settle your league disputes, and so much more. Check out Fantasy Football Today anywhere podcasts are found. Today, 32-year-old Robert Griffin III spends a lot of his time calling football games for ESPN. This season, he joined their Monday night pregame show, but he is technically a free agent and has a huge desire to get back on the field. When he started his NFL career with Washington in 2012, he seemed unstoppable. He had been the second overall draft pick known for his rocket arm, his agility, and his speed. In addition to playing football and basketball, he was a track star in high school. But he grew up in Texas, where football is king. So when he went to Baylor University in Waco, he suited up for the Baylor Bears and eventually brought the school its first Heisman Trophy ever. Those fans didn't forget him. And when he returned to Texas on that Thanksgiving day in 2012 against the Cowboys, a lot of them were in the stands. Robert Griffin III coming back to his home state and asked him how many tickets he had to buy, and he said he was only buying 20. It was a great opportunity to come back to the state that I grew up in, play in front of the fans that that know me, have seen me from Coppers Cove High School to Baylor University, and maybe show the Cowboys nation that they should have tried to do everything they possibly could have to draft me and keep me at home. I think right about now, Robert Griffin's wishing he'd let a few more people in the door. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to witness this? And to see and hear the crowd at the end of the game chanting a name that they had given me, RG3, that was born in college. So to hear those chants ring throughout the stadium, and it wasn't just by Washington fans. Because I was back home, it was by everybody. And that type of atmosphere literally raises the hair on your arms and on your back and makes you feel a certain type of way. You're a rookie with Washington. You're literally in your rival's den, Dallas. <laughs> I mean, can you just give me the the feeling and the and what you were thinking about and what you were seeing and hearing as you're coming into this game? Yeah, I mean, at that point in the season, we were four and six. We had just come off a, a bye, I think, the week before. And a lot of people had written us off. So now you get an opportunity to, to go home. Mom and dad are there, sisters. Fans from Baylor University are, are littered throughout the stands in pregame warmups. You know, I like to walk around the field, say the Lord's Prayer, essentially mark my territory, say like anything that happens between these lines is under my control, even though I know that's not true. Right. But you're psyching yourself up and you're walking around. And you see so many familiar faces and it feels like home. So you felt like you brought the team with you in terms of like, let's come out of the gate and, and just go big here. I, you know, I, for me, it was, it was an emotional thing. I don't want to say that it was that me, I brought the team with me in that regard. I think that um, we knew we had nothing to lose. What was the feeling 
being out there on the field, like you wanted to perform in this electric atmosphere, but like, is there a feeling that where you felt like, oh my God, I'm, I'm actually, I'm doing it. We're exploding here. Yeah. Yeah. I think your, your point of bringing the team with you, that was something that I really felt like early on in that year, my rookie season, I wasn't doing a good job of, right. I was, I was playing well, but I wasn't getting the guys to, to really come with me. And, and that's, it's a part of leadership, but it's really hard to describe how you can make that happen. So it started early in the game we ran a play action pass out of the pistol, which is when the back is standing right behind you. And that atmosphere there at Jerry's world was just so electric. You had so much energy. And uh, our team had finally, everybody was coming along and, and going and making plays and cheering for each other. The NFL had to change a rule because of us that year. Remember when everyone used to spin the ball in front of everybody? Yeah. They changed the rule after that season because Pierre Garçon, Santana Moss, who are we talking about? Josh Morgan, Leonard Hankerson. There was too much spinning, too, too much, much celebrations. Spinning. They were celebrating everything, right? <laughs> touchdown pass, celebrate, spin it right in front of the defender. And the next year they came out and they literally showed on the uh, replay official, because they, they send out a video every year to show you the new rule changes. And the rule change was a video of Pierre Garcon catching the pass across the middle, spinning the ball in front of the defender. And that's when they said, hey, this will now be counted as taunting. So we didn't think we were, we were taunting. We were bonding together as a team. And in that, that game by itself, it was a springboard for us to go all the way through the rest of the year undefeated. We won the division and got into the playoffs. But I mean, that, that game, just some look at that as one of the best Thanksgiving performances by a rookie quarterback ever. Did you know while the game was unfolding how important this was to you, to your rookie season, to your to your career that was that was developing? Honestly, I can say no. There was two things that that game meant for me personally. Mm -hmm. If we lost that game, our season would essentially have been over. Our coach had already said essentially that the season is over. Shanahan had given up. He had essentially given up on the year. And that rubbed a lot of the guys the wrong way because, you know, we're sitting there like, hey, man, we're only three and six. Like, we have an opportunity here. We, yeah, we got to run the table probably, but we can do it. And I think that game signified to us what we could do when we're all playing together, when we come together as a team. We needed to win out. And the only way you can win out is to win the game that's right in front of you. Well, and your, your fan base was, was growing like wildfire after that game. I mean, I, a couple of weeks later, you set an all-time sales record for NFL jerseys in a single season. I mean, this was the record at, at the time. Right. You're a rookie. I mean, that's just unheard of. Like, how how did that attention and people just coming to you and rooting for you, like, how did that affect how you played in, in the weeks ahead? I think anytime you have a performance like that on the national stage, when it's the only game that's going on, it gives you a certain type of confidence. Now, as we talked about cliches, every player is going to tell you, they're the most confident player in the world because you have to, right? You have to have that generalized belief. But when good things happen, there's a trickle effect. And that first throw we talked about, the, the bomb to Alger Robinson down the field where I thought I overthrew him and he met, went and made the catch, hit him in stride. Well, that had a trickle down effect to the next touchdown throw, to the next touchdown throw, to the next touchdown throw. And I think that's what happened for us in, in that game. 
we had a trickle down effect for the rest of the year. What is trickle down? Is it, is it just confidence? Is it belief in self? Is it chemistry? I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, you hear a lot of people talk about like slippery slopes in a bad way. Yeah. But when you when you have good things happen for you, they start to balloon up for you, right? Stuff starts to flow or roll downhill. So now if you're making this throw and this receiver is making this catch, oh, well, the other receiver is going to be like, well, I can make that play. Huh. Right. If a running back like Alfred Morris, great running back, if he makes a play, Roy Halu Jr. is like, oh, I can make that play. And now everyone's raising their level each and every play, each and every game until you find yourself in a position where whew, end of the year, we got one game against the Cowboys once again. And whoever wins goes to the playoffs. Whoever loses goes home. And because of what happened in that Thanksgiving game, and the rest of the season and how we continue to grow and bond as a team, we were ultra confident that we can make that game our game and win it. RG3 was a breakout star in that 2012 season. He led Washington to the postseason. His name was being thrown around in MVP discussions. All of that changed on January 6th, 2013. Who's not ready for this wild card game between the Seahawks and the Redskins? I hurt myself in the second drive. Griffin is really slow back to the huddle. You see the, the lamp and he's clearly in some discomfort. Played the rest of the game until we got to the fourth quarter. Now second and 22. The communication back and forth was that, look, I can't run. So we got to call drop back passes. We have to run the ball with Alfred Morris and the rest of our backs. Like we were more than a good enough offense to get that done. They called a bootleg. And I did the fake, came out of the boot. Everyone in the stands, everyone watching on TV is like, take this guy out the game. Bruce Irvin, you know, sacked me, whiplashed me, spun me around, tackled me. Now second and 22. I had no, no ability to get away from that hit or to get a, get out of that situation. At that point, I, you know, peel myself off the ground. Linemen come and help, help pick me up. And we go to the, to the huddle for the next play. And, you know, Will Montgomery is my center at that time. And, and he was a dog, right? He was a fighter. And they've been fighting all game to protect me from that second series on because they knew I wasn't as mobile as I had been Definitely early in the year, but even earlier in the game. And he snapped the ball to the left when I reached down to try to catch it. My ACL tour. And Robert Griffin III is down on the ground and can't get up. I remember this. I mean, I, th I feel like the whole football world was like feeling for you. Stunned silence here. One of the brightest stars to come into this league in a long time. He now can't get up. I knew it was my ACL because I had torn my ACL before. The pain that you feel when you tear your ACL the first time is like a, a pinch. It hurts, but it's like a pinch and boom, it's gone. When you tear your ACL the second time, uh, it, it's almost like if you've ever watched an ACL surgery, they do a lot to your knee to get it back righteous. That's why it looks like a balloon when you come out of surgery. But the second time it tore, it was almost as if like my, my leg was being ripped off and I crumbled immediately in that moment crumbled to the ground because I there's very few things that can happen in your life that take you completely out of the moment and when you feel the pain of tearing your ACL on a reconstruction it takes you out of the moment 
I fell to the ground. The ball was literally laying next to my head. And I was not there. I, I you were physically, I was to reach physically for the ball, like. unable to be in that moment because I was in so much pain. Let's take another look. You're going to see the snap of the ball. It's low, and then as he goes down, but as he's trying to get it here, mm. you see that knee oh. go. And that injury and the way it happened just exemplified for me just how compromised I was. Because who is really out there tearing their ACL, just bending down to the left, trying to catch a snap that's a little, a little too left? During the game, as he was lying on the ground, fans started chanting his name, RG3, RG3. You can hear it in the background as the announcers talk about a USA Today story on whether RG3 would have been playing or not. The later part of that article we talked about earlier, Dr. Andrews was saying, I'm the one that shut him down that day. Finally, How were you feeling going into, into that big game? Well, it was, it was a little earlier in the year where I actually hurt my LCL against the Baltimore Ravens. RG3 and his injury on December 9th when he was hit. That leg was exposed and he sprained the knee in a game here. That was like someone took a, a metal bat and just hit me in the side of the leg as hard as they possibly could. Like, it's that much pain. Like Barry Bonds or Mark McGuire just swinging at your knee because uh, I got hit by Haloti Nada. And large, powerful man, large, large, powerful man, over 350 pounds. Yeah. Right. So for me, at that point, I missed the next game against the Cleveland Browns. And it was just a focus on can I get healthy enough to play? I had been told it was a sprain. I had been told, hey, it could be a couple weeks, could could be one week. You could be you could play this week. But did, heading into that Seahawks game, were there people saying to you, like, you shouldn't play, man? Not, <laughs> not going into not going into the game, and the reason they weren't saying it going into the game was because I had played the previous three weeks. Now everyone that had watched me run in those previous three weeks would have said, "Why is he playing?" Mm-hmm. Uh, because I didn't look good running. Well, I think the real key for Washington is how healthy is that knee for RG three. I was fine throwing. I was fine leading the offense, making all the checks. Um, but when I had to break the pocket or do a designed run. It, it didn't look pretty. Last week, we know last week, he was not all that effective running the football. You get into a situation where when it's really, really bad and it starts to get better, people feel more comfortable doing certain things. I was never comfortable after I came back from that injury that season running the ball. And I let that be known. It wasn't a secret. But they felt like I needed to run at least once or twice a game to keep the defense honest. Sure. Right? And, and I understood that thinking but was it the best thing for my long-term career no so what were you thinking going into that seahawks game so that's what i'm saying going into the seahawks game i had already played against i believe philly we had beat philly we obviously beat the the cowboys i think we had beat the giants at the end of the year i'm so not this sure new approach like i'm only going to run a couple times i'm going to protect the leg Correct. like you, you felt you had gotten into a comfort zone yes and, and as uncomfortable as that comfort zone could be because you like to run no it's not that i like to run it was just that you can't use a certain skill set that you have but i knew that so we had gotten to a point where it was like, all right, you're going to run a couple times a game and we're going to leave it at that. But people, when they saw me run, were still alarmed. But by the time we got to the Seattle game, I was feeling much better. So when I ran in the first drive or two series in that Seattle game, I actually didn't look bad. I looked more like myself until I re-injured myself. So Yeah, I mean, you completed 10 of 19 passes, two touchdowns, one interception. I mean, you were injured or not. I mean, you were playing a solid game. And are you feeling like... 
I wish I could be my true self. Maybe we'd be <laughs> up right now in the fourth quarter. Or like, what? What is? No, because I, th- I, I think the real question here that needs to be answered or, or you know navigated is it's not wh- how was it going into the game. It was once we got in the game and I re-injured myself. Then at that point, as a player, you're in the playoffs, right? You have no idea if there's going to be a game the next week if you're not playing. So as a player, you're willing to put your body on the line. You're willing to put everything out there for your guys. And I think that's something that has gotten lost over the years. It's like, no, I wanted to play because I wanted to be there for Santana Moss. I wanted to be there for Trent Williams, Alfred Morris, Pierre Garçon, Josh. I wanted to be there for those guys. And in that moment, it is not the player's responsibility to say enough. Right. We, we think of football players as gladiators. Right. The years ago, Kellen Winslow got in trouble for saying it's like war out there. It's a battlefield. It's not a battlefield. Right. But we think of ourselves as gladiators. So when it comes to, hey, this guy might have a concussion. Guys don't want to come out. You have a decision in that moment. It's fight or flight. Right. The, the real ones are built to fight. So for me in that moment, I just wanted to keep fighting for my guys. And that's where the the onus falls on the doctors and the coaches to protect guys from themselves. I heard a interview recently about Ryan Clark. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he has a sickle cell trait and everyone knew about that when he was in the league. And Mike Tomlin, uh, they were playing a game against the Broncos. Mm-hmm. Very important game. And Tomlin held him out of the game. And the reason he held him out of the game was because it wasn't going to be good for Ryan Clark's future. Why didn't Shanahan hold you out of this game against the Seahawks? I don't think that's the question. I think the the question is, why didn't he take me out of the game once I was re-injured? And I think that's the question that a lot of people are asking. Why throw this young guy out there? He's a rookie. He's 22 years old. Why throw him out there and do all of these different things when it's clear, it's very evident that he's not himself? It's very evident in that playoff game that he is now injured. I told them that I was uh, that I was injured. They knew because the doctors and everybody had to come get me off the field. And then the conversation there was about, I just can't run anymore. And do you feel like Shanahan let you down and didn't protect you by putting you back in there and exposing you in the fourth quarter? No, I mean, I think, I think everybody feels that way. And it, and it took a while, right? I, I came back the following year and played uh, eight months after the surgery on my knee for ACL and LCL. And it wasn't until 2017 when I went back and I and I rewatched all that tape, all that tape from 2013. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, man, I shouldn't have played that year or at least not that early because I wasn't myself. I wasn't able to go out there and move and groove. And guess what? When you put that on tape, teams don't care. But we've watched all this. Like the doctor came out and said he hadn't cleared you to play in the game. Like it's hard to it's hard to imagine you not feeling a sense of. Someone had to have my back there. I shouldn't have been out there. Yeah, and like I said, in the moment, you don't feel that way. In the moment, you're just trying to do everything you possibly can to be out there for your teammates. I immediately, after the game, defended my coach. I defended Mike Shanahan and said, I wanted to play. There's nothing he was going to be able to do to get me off that field. Do you still defend him now, years later? No, I don't. And the reason I don't now is because I'm able to reflect back on everything, right? What happened for the rest of my career. What happened the very next year with, with Mike still as my coach? I don't hold any grudges. I don't. Everything that I went through has taught me so much. But yes, it's it's very simple, and anyone will tell you it is the coach's responsibility to protect a player from himself. That injury changed the trajectory of RG3's career, but it wasn't the only battle he's fought. The league historically 
has minimized or deemed black quarterbacks to be less intelligent. That's after this break. RG3 had that devastating injury during the wildcard game against Seattle in 2013. All these years later, he still wonders what could have been. Listen, I don't think I'd be where I'm at today if, if that didn't happen. You know, I am not the guy that's, that, that ever sits around and says, man, if I'd have never, you know, torn my ACL or if I had sat out a little bit longer, my career would have been longer. Look, I played eight years in the NFL when most people thought I was only going to play three. So to be able to stretch that out another five years and still be young, like I still train till this day to be ready for that opportunity. But, but you went from literally the top of the world, right? like setting records for jerseys, that Thanksgiving Day game, Heisman, maybe heading to the Hall of Fame based on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like the, the, the sky was the limit right. for you. And then, you you know, you bounce around, you, you know, you back up Lamar Jackson in, in Baltimore. Like what? You know, I don't want to call it a fall, but like, what no, was that you, transition? You can call it. What you was can... that? What What was that fall like yeah. to go from just that rookie year to yeah. to kind of bouncing around and trying to hang on? Yeah, I mean, you can call it what it was because that fall from being on top of the football world, NFL Rookie of the Year, MVP candidate, to going to 2015 when I didn't play a snap was very difficult. It it is something that I felt like. God was trying to teach me something in that moment, but other people were trying to break me. And that's why I don't sit here and say, man, if I'd have never got hurt, this would have happened, this would have happened. I don't worry about that stuff. At the end of the day, my journey was my journey. And I had a lot of tests along the way. For a, for a quarterback at my age, eight years in the NFL at 32, I went through more, I believe, than any other quarterback had in such a short period of time. So you had like an entire career in a couple of years. Exactly. So for me, it was one of those deals that this is my test. I'm going to have a testimony. So in 2015, when I didn't play a snap and coach wouldn't let me practice. And when he did let me practice, uh, this was Jay Gruden at the time. He made me play scout team safety. Right. So now you're a quarterback who is a rookie of the year, MVP candidate, wins a division, helps your team win the division for the first time. And who knows when? Uh, there in Washington in year one and have a massive turnaround and now you're playing scout team safety. So for me, it was, this is just another mechanism of, of someone trying to break me and trying to get me to quit, trying to get me to say, what if? Trying to get me to say, oh, I'm just going to stop working. But I didn't do that. I continued to work my tail off. Where'd you learn that resiliency? I mean, is there something in your upbringing, your parents? Like, where, where does that come from? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it comes from my parents. I watched my dad walk around with holes in his socks and holes in his shoes just so I could have a pair of seven season old Jordans. Right. So I saw that sacrifice and that sacrifice from him made me understand that, listen, if you really, really want something, then you got to work for it. So in 2015, when I didn't get a chance to, to play or take a snap or take a practice rep, I stayed out to practice for two hours. And got my work in so much so that the quarterback coach got mad at me after a couple of weeks because I was pushing the meeting back because I was all on the field working. But guess who wasn't out there on the field working with me? None of the coaches were out there working with me. And the reason was for whatever, you know, at, at that point in my career, it was don't touch this guy. Don't go around this guy. He, yes, he's working hard. Yes, he's doing all these things. But if you if you're seen around him, then you're against the coach. And that was unfortunate, but I'd never let that get in the way of the work. 
And that's why I was able to stretch my career out and go from a three year career to an eight year career when it seemed like, ah, man, it's just injuries this. We don't want to have this guy be be around or, or do these different things. And I proved my worth by going to Baltimore as the fifth quarterback on the roster fifth quarterback and was able to make that team in Baltimore and give Lamar Jackson something that I never had in the league, which was a mentor, someone who had been through what he was going to go through from a quarterback perspective, from a black quarterback perspective. And I took pride in that. So I took pride in being able to help Lamar Jackson as much as I was able to before I left after my third year. Has he thanked you or, or talked to you about that? Yeah. I mean, we, me and Lamar talk all the time. And, and, and for me, you know, Lamar is a man's man. Right. He's going to do what he wants to do, how he wants to do it. And I took pride in after year one, him coming to me and asking me questions throughout the week. About hey, football or about life? About football and about life. Right. About, hey, how would you read this if you're doing this? Uh, OK, Rob, I want to watch you do this real quick so I can get a better feeling for, for how we're going to read out this player, how we're going to attack this defense. And then when it comes to life, those conversations happen naturally. When you're around a guy pretty much 24 seven for three years, those questions about life are going to happen. You know, that type of mentorship, that meant a lot to me. I, I, you know, you'd have to ask him how much it meant to him. But for me, it was an opportunity to give back to the game. And I'm very proud of what Lamar Jackson has been able to do. But I take no credit for it. The man is unbelievable. And he would have done that with or without me. But you said you guys bonded over being black quarterbacks in the league. What, what's something that we might not have thought about that comes up that you might have mentored him in? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say this. When, <laughs> when you say we, we bonded over being black quarterbacks, and it's not like that's the topic of discussion. You just come in like, hey, man, we're black. Right? You're black. Let's, let's do this together. No, it's, it's one of those things of understanding that the league historically has minimized or deemed black quarterbacks to be less intelligent. They have demeaned their work ethic. They have pushed down their leadership. Uh, and that's just historically speaking. So knowing that, we have all grown up feeling like and being told that we have to be better, not just a little bit better, but that we have to be two, three, four, five times better than the guys who don't look like us. And because of that, you understand, hey, there's going to be a little more criticism, Lamar. You came in. Everyone said you should be a wide receiver. But Baltimore drafted you as a quarterback. So when you step out of there on that field, they're going to be looking at you as a wide receiver. But that's not even what happened. What they look at him as a running back. So what did the moniker become? That's not bad for a running back. That's not bad for a running back. And those are things that you can bond over because you understand that battle. I fought that battle. And I fought it so guys like Lamar Jackson wouldn't have to. Just like Randall Cunningham fought it so I wouldn't have to. Just like Michael Vick fought it so I wouldn't have to. But we're still fighting that same battle. And I think those areas is where we understand that just go be yourself. Lamar plays Lamar ball. That's it. He doesn't play Tom Brady ball. He doesn't play, quote unquote, uh, like a traditional quarterback. And that was something that we wanted to, to make sure wasn't coached out of him. Go be yourself. Go play the game the way that you see it. I want to talk about someone who had that kind of effect on your life driving you. And it was your dad who we were talking about it. There's this story about when you wanted to be the fastest kid <laughs> on the military base where you were growing up. This was in an ESPN profile. And he had you tie an old tire around your waist while you were training yeah. to make you better and to push harder. Like, how did that mentality stick with you over over the years? Yeah, I mean, my dad, the, you know, the tire. Yeah, that's old school, right? That's Rocky. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> but 
I did those all the way through college. I did those in the NFL. The tire, the tire trick. Yes, because my my teammates, you know, was my it old tire or was it more updated? Equipment oh no, 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 it was old tires. Wow, you know, just okay. old tires, rubber tires. You know, and a couple of my teammates, and I'll name them: Len- Lanier Sampson was one of my wide receivers, and Jared Salubi was one of our running backs. And they would see me pulling the tires around, doing forward lunges, doing back pedals, doing sprints in the in the driveway of our dorm, which was called the Arbors back in Waco. And after a couple of nights, they were like, because I would do this two or three times uh, a week. After a couple of nights, I was like, yeah, but what are you doing? And I would just tell them, I said, well, you can never forget what got you there. You can never forget the work that got you there. And doing that type of work a couple times a week was what had gotten me to do all the things that I accomplished in high school, all the things that, that made the college coaches want me to go to the university. And that type of work ethic was taught to me by my father. And his sacrifice over the years is really was what motivated me to go out and not give up in 2015 when when I didn't play and not give up in 2017 when I wasn't in the league at all. So in 15, I was in the league, just wasn't getting any play in 17. I wasn't even in the league and I just kept working, just kept working because eventually you're going to find that breakthrough. What is he telling you about your career right now? Like broadcasts, (laughs) playing what? What's his uh, advice? You know, he, know, he knows I want to play. I, mean, I think everybody knows I still want to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the game. But what I'm able to do right now and, and still give back to the game and be around the game, uh, you know, I have a love for this now as well. So This you know, broadcast behind a microphone. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he's telling me just keep having fun because I think that's what he wants to see. And the people that know me, they know at one point in my career I wasn't having fun anymore. And I had to find that back again, and I did. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was able to get back in the league and, and, and extend my career because I found the fun in football. So you're having fun in the broadcast booth, and you're great. It's great watching games you're calling. What is the drive to to play again? Are yeah, you- I mean, I, I, we did a, a little uh, charity run at, at Run Rich Run earlier this uh, off season. Yeah, I think you ran a 4.48 yeah. 40-yard dash, <laughs> and, um, which was, I just want to put that in perspective, at the NFL Combine this year, the fastest was 4.52 by a quarterback, and that was Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati. So you ran faster than, <laughs> than any quarterback. You know, it's a bl- this is a blessing, you know, just, you know, it's really not even about me. It's about the people that, that I've worked with over the last, you know, 10 years to help me stay ready to roll, right? You would think that I had been hurt 75 times in my career, but I hadn't, and I only missed a certain amount of games due to injury. This is the injuries that I did have were, were, were big ones, right? I tore my ACL, broke my ankle. So that makes people think, oh, well, he's hurt all the time, but I wasn't. And then in, in Baltimore, I wasn't hurt at all. So until I tore my hamstring off the bone in that Steelers game. So that hurt. But I think, you know, my desire to play really just comes from every player's desire to play. You want to you want to end your career on your own terms. If I never play another down of football, will I regret it? Nope, not at all. And why won't I regret it? Because football has given so much to me. It's given so much to my family, so many relationships. But from that side of it, I'm not afraid to admit, yeah. I still want to play. I'm not afraid to admit that. And a lot of players are because it, it, it comes down to pride and ego. And and I learned a long time ago that you have to push that aside to go pursue your dreams. So for me, that's why I accepted the job with the Baltimore Ravens to be the fifth quarterback, because I put my pride and my, my ego aside because I wanted to play that bad. I'll prove it to you. Let me get in the building. Let me work. Let me be a, a great teammate like I've been my entire career. I'll prove it to you. 
that's kind of how I approach it. So with doing the TV and everyone's like, hey, stop worrying about playing. You're doing such an amazing job and you're climbing the ranks. It's like, yeah, I understand that. And I'm going to continue to give my all uh, in the TV broadcasting area. And when that opportunity comes to play, if it's the right opportunity in the right situation, then I'll be back playing. What does right situation mean? I mean, do you need assurances that you'll be considered to start? Would you be okay if you're backing up someone in sort of a mentorship role like you've talked about with Lamar? Like, what, what do you need to know before you, you dive into it? The, the difference for me at this point is that I understand the dynamics of the NFL better than I did when I was younger. And if you're trying to get back in the league, then you might have to be willing to do some stuff that you might not have been willing to do before. Uh, and I think that's a massive difference between myself and guys like Cam Newton and Colin Kaepernick. You can't beat your chest and say, I deserve to be a starter. You have to go in and you have to earn it. And that's something that I've proven that I'm willing to do. Uh, but each case, I can't give you like, hey, here's the perfect scenario. You know what a perfect scenario would be for anybody that's on the street right now? Be a starter. <laughs> right? <laughs> who, who, who doesn't want to be a starter? Yeah, could you bring me in as third string? Hey, like, hey, I'd really prefer exactly. to. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, uh, you go through this process of like, you're an alpha dog. You want to be the guy. And, and it's the same way in TV. You want to be the guy. You want to be the one that has the show and runs the show. But you got to be a great teammate. And I've learned that way back in high school about how to be a good teammate towards the guys that are in the room with you. If you don't get back, yeah. you said you'd be essentially your career would have ended not on your terms. Right. Will you still feel fulfilled if you never have another NFL moment for us to talk about? 100%. And the reason is, is I made the most of the opportunities that I got. And people look at that, and like we talked about, that, that Steelers game. The year before, completely healthy. We beat the Steelers. Best record ever in franchise history for the Ravens, which was led 99.9% .9 by Lamar Jackson. But he set out that last game and gave me an opportunity to go out there in, the, in a tsunami and, and have some fun to play a game. Mm -hmm. So the last game that I got to play in tore my hamstring off the bone. And you say, well, man, he must not have been prepared. He must not have been ready to go. No, I worked my tail off. I did everything I possibly could. And for me to, to end my career in that way, for me, isn't a disappointment. For me, if that's the last image I have of my career, it just goes to show that no matter what you're going through, no matter what happens, just keep swinging. Keep swinging because that has literally catapulted me into what I'm doing now. And what I'm doing now, I'm having a blast with it. My family's having a blast with it. And you just don't know where God has you to be. For my entire life, I always thought that I was going to be on a basketball court or on a football field or running on around a circle on a track. But God blessed me with great moments in those areas. And now it seems like this is my calling. So if this is my calling, then all of that was worth it. And that's how I approach it. That's the, the attitude that I have about it. Put yourself out there. If you don't risk it, you definitely can't get the biscuit, right? If you want to get rich, you got to you got to make some bets. You got to put yourself out there. You got to push all your chips in. And I pushed all my chips in for football with study time, with working on my body. And <clears throat> dang, it didn't work out in that area. But because of all that hard work and, and the work ethic, it's going to work out somewhere else. Speaking of that, the last thing I wanted to ask you to do, if you are willing, I have the Garcon touchdown from Thanksgiving right. queued up. I would I would love you to try and talk <laughs> us through it as if you're in the broadcast booth. Okay. Are you game for that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There we go. So Mo Claiborne gets in the backfield on a little bubble action. Basically trying to tell the Washington football team, hey, we don't do that college stuff here. But Josh Morgan does a nice job holding on to it. So now it's second and 13. 
Second quarter coming up on the two-minute drill. Washington's going to run a little bit of motion here. Bringing the tight end across to set the defense. Here it is. Robert Griffin third drops back. Oh, my goodness. What a catch by Pierre Garçon. And he's off to the races. He's rumbling. He's stumbling. Touchdown, Washington. Oh, and he pushed him into the wall there. Uh oh, Santana Moss letting him know. No, we don't do that around here. Wow. What a play. I can't wait to see that replay. But, ooh, all the Washington football players are there cheering on their main man, Pierre Garçon, after he just made a spectacular catch. That is Robert Griffin III, RG3. To find out about our upcoming interviews, follow Religion of Sports on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow me. I'm at Fearless Green. That is Fearless underscore Green with me on the end. If you like the show, we'd love it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And I want to tell you about the great team who put this together. In the Moment is produced by Sarah McCrory. Sound design and mixing by Michael Raphael and Jocelyn Gonzalez at PRX Productions. Britt Kahn is our talent booker. Our production manager is BJ Olin. Story research by Joe Levin. Kevin Sullivan edited this episode and is head of talk. Gotham Chopra, Amit Sankaran, and Adam Schlossman are our executive producers. Fearless Media is our consulting producer. And special thanks to Teresa Tran. Oh, and here's the replay. You're going to see Robert Griffin III is going to fake it to Alfred Morris, pulling the defense up, but they get out of there pretty quick. He throws it to the only place that Pierre Garçon can catch it. And then, oh, he just runs past everybody into the end zone, showcasing incredible balance. Look at right here. Woo! Oh, my goodness. How did he stay on his feet? I don't know. But all I know is that he got six, and he's cooking on these Cowboys. In the Moment is a production of Religion of Sports and PRX. I'm David Green. We'll be back next week with another athlete and their moment.